Where is your faith? Remember that Jesus is asking this question of disciples. They have left everything to follow him. Admittedly, they are still at the early stages of discipleship. They have still a lot to learn about Jesus, but they are his disciples. The problem is not that they're without faith. The problem is that they are not using the faith that they have been given. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, continuing our series, Faith with Questions. And today, Colin, we're going to spend a little time talking about not whether we actually have faith, but are we using the faith that we've been given? I find it really helpful to think about faith as being like a muscle. When it's used, it grows strong. When it's not used, then uh, it becomes very diminished in its capacity. You know, you put a cast on a, a broken leg or a broken arm or whatever, the muscle's in pretty bad shape when the thing comes off. You've got to do some exercise, that muscle up again. You see, I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says to the disciples, where is your faith? Not that they don't have it, it's that they're not using it. And the challenge today is how are you going to apply your faith in Jesus Christ to the particular circumstances that you're facing today? Let's start today's message. It's entitled Diminished Growth. Here's Pastor Colin. Now, I'd be grateful if you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel in chapter 8 as we continue our series Faith with Questions, dealing with the darkness of doubt. We've been discovering over these weeks that doubt grows for a variety of different reasons, and if we can identify the root cause of a particular doubt, we will be in a position to discover the remedy. And today we're going to look at a fifth variety of doubt. And let me promise you, this one cannot be addressed in the classroom. It's very different. It's very important for us to understand where our difficulties are arising from, for only when we understand their root are we going to be able to grasp the prescription. Now, I want us to focus in this morning on a question that Jesus asked, and a question indeed that he asks of us today. Most of us have many questions that we would like to ask of God or of Christ if we had the opportunity to speak with him uh, directly, face to face. There are many questions that people ask Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels. But I want us to focus our attention on a question that he wants to ask you. And I want us to hear it as a question that Christ has for each of us personally today, You find it right in the middle of this well-known story that we've read, the story of the storm in the lake. They're out on the lake. The storm blows up. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. And then he asks them this great question, which you'll see there in Luke 8 and verse 25. Where is your faith? Now, you can be sure that when Jesus takes time to ask you a question, that he is probing into something of very fundamental importance. Where is your faith? It must have been wonderful for the disciples to be able to talk directly with Jesus, to share a lunch, catch a smile, look into his eyes. But there must have been moments when the directness of their experience of Jesus must have been quite uncomfortable, and I've no doubt that this was one of these occasions. I mean, can you imagine having breakfast with Jesus? Uh, Think of it in McDonald's or Panera Bread or some other place where you like to have breakfast. Imagine yourself, with me for a moment, sitting in a booth 
that's familiar to you, and looking across the table at Jesus physically present with you as he was with the disciples, and he's eating his scrambled eggs. And you begin to talk. You tell him about your worries about your children. You tell him about your work. You say, Jesus, this place is so dark. These people are so spiritually blind. I don't know that any of them will ever believe in you. You talk about the declining standards in our country, how the tide of this culture pulls so strongly against an authentic Christian life. And you talk about your own fears for the future. You don't know what it holds, and you're grateful for the opportunity to tell him your fears. And he listens. And then slowly he puts down his fork. And he looks right across the table, deep into your eyes, and he says, Where is your faith? Now, Jesus' question is a reminder to us that it is possible to have faith and not to use it. Remember that Jesus is asking this question of disciples. They have left everything to follow him. Admittedly, they are still at the early stages of discipleship. They have still a lot to learn about Jesus, but they are his disciples. The problem is not that they're without faith. The problem is that they are not using the faith that they have been given. Now, I need just to comment briefly on this because some of you who know Mark's gospel will remember that Mark records this story with Jesus asking the question, have you no faith? And that's rather like the situation where uh, we walk into a store I do that with my sons, and they see a CD, and they say, Dad, will you buy this for me? And I say to them, have you no money? (laughs) And what I mean by that is not that they don't have any money. I mean by that precisely that they do have money, because I've already given it to them. They get a perfectly decent allowance, and I'm saying to them, this is the time for you to use what you've already been given. So the question is the same question. It's not a different question. Have you, have you no faith? Uh, where is your faith? It's basically saying you have something here. Why in all the world aren't you using it? Faith is a gift from God. It is not of ourselves. Paul tells us clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we receive it from him. It is a special work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer by which he has opened your eyes to the unique glory of who Jesus Christ is, your need of him, and he has created within you the capacity to trust him. He's given you a new heart. He's taken away the heart of stone. He has given you a heart of flesh. He has put his spirit within you. He has made you a new creation. You are born again. You have the gift of faith. All this is true of you if you are a Christian believer. But Jesus' question makes it abundantly clear that it is possible for all this to have happened in your life, for you to have faith, but not for you to use it. Now, when Karen and I were engaged, we were given a rather beautiful coffee set. In fact, when we saw it, we thought, my goodness, this is a, this is a very valuable gift. This is beautiful. And so we said, you know, we must use this just for special occasions. 
And so when we were married and we uh, set up home, we put it in a glass display cabinet. And it's been there for 22 years. (laughs) I mean, we have used it. But I have to tell you, we've not used it often. It's beautiful. And it stays in the glass display cabinet. Now, it is very, very easy for your faith to become like that. It is the gift of God to you. You say, this gift of faith, this is something valuable. This is something priceless. This is something eternal. And so what we do is we put it on display in the glass cabinet of our hearts. But it is rarely brought out and it is rarely actually used. And that's at the very heart of Jesus' question, where is your faith? Have you ever noticed how often Christians will testify to the fact that when they hit a time of crisis, their faith just grew exponentially? And if you ask the question, why is that, that we hear that time and time and time again, let me suggest to you that the reason is that faith gets taken out of the glass cabinet and we find ourselves actually trusting Christ in a real-life crisis, and suddenly faith is not put on display, but instead it is put to work. Now, that's the point of Jesus' question. Where is your faith? You know me, you believe in me, you know that I am with you, now you find yourself in a storm. Why are you not applying your faith to the particular difficulties of this situation? And I'm suggesting to you from the scriptures this morning that if you do not apply your faith to the immediate challenges of your life, then you will suffer from diminished growth. And that is actually the root of many people's doubts. Let me try and describe what it looks like. You have this faith for which you're grateful and it's well polished. In fact, you polish it every Sunday. But then for the other six days of the week, you live in what you call the real world. The real world is the world of contracts, lawsuits, stock markets, diapers, little league, uh, the problem with mother-in-law, homework, athletics, loneliness, confusion, fear. And we say, that's the real world. Now, if you don't apply your faith in that world, it will not be long before you find it difficult to see the relevance of faith to life. The problem isn't that you've lost your faith. The problem is that you are not using your faith. And there is only one place to use it, and that is in the real world. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith with a message called Diminished Growth, part of our series Faith with Questions. We've been talking about the fact that we can have faith and not use it. It's a gift of God, but still, you can have it and never use it. When we return to the message in a few minutes, Pastor Colin will show us that faith is just like a muscle. And if you miss any of the messages, you can always catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can stream the messages directly from the website, or you can download an MP3 of the message free. 
You can also get the Open the Bible app. Just go to your normal app store and search for Open the Bible. That's free as well. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 8, as we get back to the message with Pastor Colin, Diminished Growth. Faith is, to use another analogy, rather like a muscle. If you exercise that muscle, it will grow and it will gain strength. But if you do not use that muscle, it will atrophy and it will lose its strength. And the only place that you can use the muscle of faith is in what we call the real world. Some of us spend time every day exercising certain muscles, and we want them to develop. We say, I haven't run for a week, and I can feel the difference. I said, we say that. I personally don't say that. Um, (laughs) It's a lot longer than a week. But if a week goes by without exercising faith, you will notice the difference. And the longer you go without exercising faith in any real, tangible, practical way, the greater the danger that rather like a muscle that atrophies, you will forget how to use it altogether. And anyone who's had a broken arm or a broken leg or some such uh, difficulty, and you've had it in plaster, cast, or whatever, and then you found that it has been severely weakened when the plaster is taken off, you know what it is to go into physiotherapy and you need to work hard to rebuild the muscle that has been weakened by prolonged inactivity. The physiotherapist works with you to rebuild what has been lost through the simple lack of use. And that's what I want us to explore from the Scriptures this morning, for us to learn how to rebuild the strength of faith that has been weakened and has been drained by the simple lack of of use. Where is your faith? Well, I want us to see three things that arise from the Scriptures this morning. The first is that faith factors in the ability of God. Faith factors in the ability of God. Now, if you will glance back in your Bibles for just a moment, a few pages, you will see, if you look back to Luke and chapter 4, that the disciples had already seen incredible demonstrations of the power of Christ. Just flicking through very quickly, if you look at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 31, you'll see there there's a story about how Jesus drove out a demon. He has authority even over the powers of darkness themselves. Chapter 4 and verse 40, we find Jesus healing people who have all kinds of sickness, and every person, not just some, but everyone who was brought to him at this time was healed. Uh, Chapter 5 and verse 12, Jesus heals a leper, an extraordinarily complex disease. Chapter 5 and verse 17, the wonderful story of Jesus healing the paralytic. This was the man who was dropped in through the roof by his four friends. And then if you go on to chapter 7, at the beginning, you'll find Jesus healing a centurion's servant. This was an amazing miracle because Jesus didn't even go to the man's house to heal him. He simply spoke, and when Jesus just speaks, uh, there's a healing that takes place several miles down the road, an extraordinary event. Then most of all, chapter 7 and verse 11, Jesus comes to a town called Nain, and as he arrives, he meets a funeral procession. Can you imagine this? It's the funeral of the only son of a widow, and Jesus, filled with compassion, stops the procession, touches the coffin, and this man gets out of the coffin. Incredible. 
extraordinary miracle revealing one of three occasions in the Gospels where Jesus raised a person from the dead. Now, the disciples had seen this. The disciples were there on each of these occasions. They had seen then that Jesus has power over demons, Jesus has power over disease, and Jesus has power even over death. They have seen a revelation of the unique glory of the Lord. They have seen the ability of God. Now, in chapter 8, the story we've come to today, they're on a boat, they're on a lake, they're in a storm, and the problem is that although they have seen the ability of Jesus Christ, his power has been incredibly and repeatedly revealed to them. They are unable to make the connection between the power of Christ on the one hand and the situation they find themselves in on the other. They can't bring the two together. So although they know about the power of Jesus Christ, they look at the situation of the storm and they evaluate it in purely secular terms. We're in a storm, big storms, boats go down, we drown. That's all they could see. And so they panic. And Jesus says, where is your faith? You've seen what I can do about demons. You've seen what I can do about disease. You've seen what I can do in the face of death. And now you're in a crisis and you're panicking. Why could you not factor into the crisis that you're facing now what you already know about what I can do? Where is your faith? Now, here's my very practical question for application this morning at this point. Where do you need to exercise faith in God? Where do you need to factor in the ability of God? Is it loneliness? Is that the big storm for you? Is it the spiritual blindness of some members of your family? Is it a health issue? Is it to do with marriage? Is it the battle to live an authentic Christian life? Is it the fear of being different? What's the big battle for you where you need to factor in what you know about the ability of God? Because the danger is that when we look at the crisis we're facing in what we call the real world, we evaluate it in purely secular terms. We don't connect what we know about Jesus to this situation. And that's why we go around saying, you know, there's no hope. It's beyond what I can do. I can't see any way out. I just don't have the strength. Have you factored in the ability of God? For the living God is the God of the impossible situation. I enjoyed breakfast with my good friend Raju Abraham just on Friday of this week. I've known Raju for nearly 10 years and watched how God has used him to pull together a network of church planters in North India, one of the hardest areas for Christian work in all of the world. In the last year, more than, and this is incredible, more than 5,000 cell groups that are the basis of new churches have been planted, established, across that hardest area of North India. It is 
remarkable, as anyone who knows the scene there will agree. Raju has prayed for leaders and for resources for years and years and years. And God is answering in incredible ways. But he told me a wonderful story that I'll repeat for you on just last Friday about a businessman in Hyderabad, a man who had lived an indulgent life, knew nothing of the Lord, pattern of excessive drinking and smoking so severe that it had led him to a heart attack. After his heart attack, some Christian believers in Hyderabad who had come to know him began to minister to him and to pray for him. The man's life never changed. Then he had a second heart attack, and doctors in Hyderabad determined that he needed open-heart surgery. The day of the surgery, there was an unusual rainfall, and all of the operating theaters were flooded, so the surgery had to be canceled. Believers came and prayed for him again. This man's sister, who lives in Boston, flew him over to Boston for the surgery there. She said, no, that's it. I'm bringing you over here. Let's get this done. And when the doctors checked the angiogram in Boston, there was no evidence whatever of the blockage that had been previously identified. This man has since committed his life to Christ, sold his business, given the money in its entirety to the work of church planting in North India, and is now one of the leaders of the church planting network. And I listened to my good friend, who I trust, telling a story, and I cannot but smile. For who in their wildest imagination could conceive that God would supply leadership and funding for ministry in one of the hardest areas of the world, by intervening in the life of a drunk businessman 2,000 miles away and giving him such an extraordinary life change that he was led into a whole new meaning and purpose. With God, all things are possible, and faith factors in the ability of God. And so, as I think about who God is, and I look into the scriptures of what God can do, I'm challenged with this question, Colin, Where is your faith? For the danger is that I drift through life evaluating everything that I look at in purely secular terms. So faith factors in the ability of God. You're listening to Open the Bible. If you miss any of our messages, you can always catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can stream any of the messages You can also download them as a free MP3. Open the Bible is listener-supported, and we're able to come to you each day because of your generosity. This month we're offering Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World, as a token of appreciation for your financial support in setting up a donation of at least £5 per month. Colin, who is this book for? Well, the book is all about what happened during the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus spoke seven times during these six hours, and each time we learn more about what Jesus was doing while he was there. I mean, he was praying, he was opening up heaven, he was carrying our sins, and 
most of all, he was pouring out his great and everlasting love for each one of us. Now, I think Christians are well aware of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. But you will know someone who does not yet grasp the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for them. So this gift book is especially for him or for her. And if you're looking for a clear, biblical, and compelling presentation of the gospel to give to someone in your life this Easter, I hope you'll get hold of a copy of Six Hours That Changed the World and give that to him or to her. As a thank you for your continued financial support of a donation of at least £5 per month, we'd love to send you a copy of Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Find out more, or you can give online at openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. Faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, it will atrophy. Find out how you can exercise your faith next time.